And now, your friend and mine, the Russ Davis. <laughs> His intros get stupider all the time. Oh, stupider is not even a word. That's how bad they are. Um, let me, before we get into the text, if you do have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 12. We're in this series on Romans. We would love to have you turn there with us. But uh, before we get into that, I just wanted to highlight a couple, a couple quick things. Um, we talked a little bit last week as the interns got back from Chicago. We go on a yearly trip to Chicago as part of a learning experience for a year in the role of an intern here. And uh, we had nine uh, interns this year, and they went to Chicago, and uh, when they came back, they talked a little bit about the internship. One of the things I do every year on the Chicago trip, and uh, each year it's progressively gotten more insane to do it, is I write a postcard to every former intern and, uh, on the trip and just, you know, at, like talking to them or whatever. This is one that I sent out uh, just a few days ago, because, well, actually on the trip, I wrote 64 of them this year. Uh, these yearly postcards, this is an intern that lives in Boston now, these yearly postcards make my day every time. Newcom internships changed my life forever, and this makes me miss home like crazy. I say that to say this, like, listen to her. They change your life, right? So we would love for you to sign up to be an intern. Uh, It is an incredible opportunity to grow and learn as a group. As I told you last year, I'm on my ninth year of internship here at the church, and uh, I love being an intern. I love it. It's awesome. I'm going to hopefully be an intern to the day I die. Uh, The second thing I want to do this morning is uh, just briefly uh, remind you, a few weeks ago we talked about the idea that new community is layers, right? That when you think of new community, don't think of it as like a Sunday morning gathering because that's not the priority. We would say, what is the priority? Groups, right? So groups is the priority, and out of groups comes this time where we gather on a Sunday. But new community is not just groups, it's not just Sunday morning, there's other layers. And one of those layers is this uh, desire to be a community that starts things, right? So in the last uh, 25 years, we've started six additional churches to this one. And then on top of that, a nonprofit called Global Neighborhood. And we're just now starting, launching this fall, another nonprofit called the 90 Plus Project. We've talked about that just briefly a few weeks ago. Um, here's why I bring it up today. We are in the running for a couple grants, and we would love for you to pray that God would be so kind as to allow all the people at the, the grant committees and foundations to say, yes, we want to get behind some seed money to kind of help start this program. It's a, it's a mentoring program for underprivileged youth through the avenue of soccer. And uh, it, if you're interested in finding out more, you can just uh, Google 90 Plus Project and it'll take you right to the website. Uh, but I'd love to tell you more about it some other time, but just wanted to ask, would you pray for us with that? In addition to that, uh, we are in talks to start another nonprofit, and we'll give you more details about that in the days ahead. All of these things are designed to help us realize again that com- new community is layers. Why? Because it isn't just our responsibility as followers of Jesus to gather and worship him. It's also our responsibility to affect this city with the gospel, right? And if that's what we're all doing, if we're all on mission, if we're all living our lives, our occupations, in our neighborhoods, in whatever calling you have to make disciples 
and change the city, then we're actually going to see God move in some incredible ways. So pray with us in those things. And uh, speaking of prayer, um, there is a group here. I'm going to have them stand here in a moment. Uh, There's a group of uh, youth from Orcas Island that are actually doing uh, a service urban plunge kind of ministry here in Spokane. They're using this space in our community as kind of like a a landing pad for the week, and then they're going out and blessing the city. Uh, They'll actually be sleeping here and and then just blessing the city all week, serving with nonprofits uh, that we're connected to, loving on this community. And so I just thought it would be uh, good of us to pray over them at this time. And so if you guys would stand just where you're at. If you're uh, near one of them, if you could just kind of reach out a hand and uh, either put it on their shoulder or just extend your hand toward them, we're going to pray over them and ask God to bless, uh, bless their time. All right? Let's pray. Father, we uh, want so badly for your name to be known in Spokane. We long to see people worship you, and uh, we want to be people who worship. And we can worship not just in our singing, but we can also worship in our action We ask that uh, this week, as they give their very lives as a living sacrifice to serve the needy, to care for others, to bless uh, ministries within Spokane, we just pray that you would give them strength and energy, that you would bless the conversations that they enter into, that you would uh, give them opportunities not just to be your hands and feet, but also to be your voice, to communicate Uh, the truth uh, of who Jesus is and and the significance uh, that he has to our our very lives. So bless them, encourage them. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are in uh, Romans chapter 12, and uh, we've been in this uh, passage for a little bit of time. We're going to wrap it up here uh, in the near future. But uh, we are on verse 9 this week. Let me remind you, though, briefly what we talked about last week. Uh, This is a bit of a test. We'll see how we do here, okay? Uh, I'm going to fill in the first part of the line. You fill in the last word. The church is a salad. salad. Good, excellent. Okay, the church is a salad. And uh, we talked about what that meant, the way that it relates to the body of Christ, the way that uh, we all... I have to understand that individualism is not an option, that we as the body of Christ are connected to one another. We're all members of one body, universal as well as local. Okay, we also talked about this idea that each ingredient, you, each of us brings flavor, that we all serve a different function. We all have a different responsibility within the body of Christ, and a salad is just a house salad unless it brings all the ingredients, right? unless everybody comes to the table and actually uses their gifts. It provides the flavor to impact the city. And then last, we talked about your gift requires action. We invited you to participate using your gift, not just in this space. That would be short-sighted, right? That in everywhere you are to use the gifts that God has equipped you with. And to especially see them fostered and used and empowered in the city, okay? So we talked about that last week. This week, my goal is simply to address verse 9, okay? And uh, my hope is just to give us some things to discuss in small groups, uh, discuss around uh, coffee times, to interact together as a community, 
uh, over this verse. If you have your Bible, verse 9, it's also going to be on the screen. It says this, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. All right, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Now, I'm convinced that our understanding of this passage is directly tied to how we read our Bibles, okay? Uh, I have uh, for a long time wanted, and and I will at some point do a series just on reading, that how we read the text helps us to understand what the text is really saying, which in turn helps us to understand how we're to live out the text, right? How we're to live out the very commands that God has given us. And so there's at times a tendency for us when we read lists of commands to kind of have an inadequate understanding or an inadequate tendency to to look at those commands incorrectly, okay? And here's what I mean. What we sometimes do is we read each of these commands as separate ideas, all kind of mashed together, that that Paul is uh, writing and he just starts throwing ideas out and he's like, oh, here's another good one and here's another good one and he writes them down, throws them all together, one long kind of uh, run-on sentence, and then signs the end of the letter, and it's done, right? But these lists of commands are not to be read separately. They're to be read more in context. So here's what happens when you read them separately. If you look at the last part, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Here's how I heard this sermon growing up, or here's how I heard this passage talked about, okay? We need to work really hard to love the things that God loves, and really hard to hate the things that God hates. Now, that's a really good idea, right? It is true that we want to have the heart that's the same as Christ. It's true that we want to pursue and love the things that he loves and, and, uh, and be disgusted with at some level, those things at which break his heart. And yet, that's not what this passage is talking about. Not directly, at least, right? So here, here's how I heard the sermon. Hate the things that are evil. So you throw out for me a few. What are some of the things that we as Christians are told, or uh, if you've heard this sermon growing up, maybe you have, what what are some of the things we're to hate? Okay, greed, homosexuality, what else? Murder, pride. Say that one again. Okay, depression did you say? Oppression, okay. Others. Porn. Porn. Okay, you get the idea. Hate those things, like detest them. Now, what are the things we're supposed to love? Shout some of those out. Jesus, Jesus. very good. (laughs) Well done, well done. Uh, Love our neighbor, good. What else? Our enemy? Justice? Truth? When I was in youth group, it was like, you're supposed to love Christian music, which I hated. Uh, you're, you're supposed to love Christian books. You're supposed to, you know, all the, like we have all these like weird ideas of what true loving the things that God would love might look like, right? Now, some of the things we called out are, are central to the heart of God and what he would long for us to love. But here's how I think we need to, to look at verse 9. Verse 9 is a continuation of the previous section talking about a renewed mind, right? It's all about a renewed mind. So what Paul says in the text is, 
Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. By changing the way that you think. And he starts off by saying that you have to think of yourselves in light of the whole. So don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Don't think of yourself individually. Think of yourself in light of the body of Christ, in light of your gifts, in light of your contribution to the body, right? So he's changing the way that we think. And then he goes on to say in verse 8, if you look at verse 8, he says, contributing, those who are contributing should be generous. Leadership should be zealous. Mercy should be cheerful. And then he goes on to say, love should be without hypocrisy. Verse 9 is just a continuation of this same thought based on this idea of what it means to renew our mind. Okay? The second part is verse 9b is really in the context of relationships. If you look at uh, verse 5, it says this. So we, though many, and we talked about this last week, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We are for each other. We are made for each other, created to be together, intended by God's design for us as the body of Christ to be together. And we're to view this passage in light of relationships. So if you look at verses 9 through 21, all of the commands, all of the teaching implies in it that it's relational, that we're all members of one another. But in addition to that, here's the other thing I think is important. When you look at the idea of abhor the evil, cling to the good, it has to be understood in terms of love or of relationships. So if you look at the context, beginning of verse 9, love should be sincere or genuine or without hypocrisy. Then he says, abhor, cling, and then comes back to love. It's not a separate thought like, hey, just avoid evil things and love good things. It has everything to do with this idea of love, right? In fact, in the original language, it's all one sentence. Love should be genuine, abhorring what is evil, holding fast to what is good. Not period, new idea. All one sentence in the original, right? Because it's one continuous thought. So what Paul is doing is he's linking the command to love with the command to abhor and cling. One idea. One theme, one central understanding. And I think what Paul is doing is he's saying something very central to our understanding of love that we're going to try to unpack in the next few minutes. But in order to kind of unpack it, I want, uh, I want you to see this short little video I saw this week. All right? Now, when I uh, saw that the first time, not only did I have to wipe tears from my eyes for a few moments, but the first thing that jumped into my mind, because I saw it this week, and this passage had been on my mind and heart for a while, and I saw it, and I went, that's, that's what it means. Love must be genuine. Like, you, you can't fake that, right? You can't fake that. He sees his son, he f- like falls down to a knee almost, and just bear hugs, takes him to the ground, and is rolling around with him for a minute, Right? <laughs> They showed that replay like four times. And then stands up, and did you see? He's like, like totally shocked that he's there. And for the next like 30 seconds, he's just like this, standing behind his wife, like going, what is going on? It's amazing, right? You can't fake that. That's what it means for love to be genuine. 
to have that kind of reaction. And, and I think we all understand when love comes from a real place. When you see it like that, you just know it's real. It's kind of like the opposite of my kids when they were in trouble when they were little, right? So they, they, would, they would fight with one another, and uh, I would bring them over, have one of those little like holy huddles here for a moment, right? And we're like, okay, listen, you can't do that to your sister. You can't do that to your brother. Like, hold on a second. And then I would say, you know, the classic parent thing that I was like, I'll never do that when I get older, right? And I'm like, okay, you need to tell each other you love each other. You need to give each other a hug. And so my son would like reach out and just like tap. And then he'd be like, love you. And I'm like, what, what did you just burp or what? Like, that is, that is not saying I love you. That, that, you don't mean that at all. Like, and he would like five times in a row, I love you, I love you. And I'd be like, come on. Eventually, get to the place where it like sounded somewhat sincere. I still knew he was like completely faking it, right? But he's trying to communicate. What Paul says here is this, love must be genuine. It must be real, sincere. It's to be without hypocrisy. It's the kind of love that you can't fake. But I think we would probably be accused of the opposite, right? Of having a love at times that's superficial, fraudulent, deceptive, cheap imitations of the real thing, right? It's like you can tell when someone's just going through the motions, right? When they're just kind of uh, simulating or producing some counterfeit type of love. I mean, you, you know what that's like, right? It's that time when you have either said or you've heard someone else say something along the lines like, if I ever see that angry little, oh, hi, Susie, it's so good to see you, right? How are the kids, right? Like, switching from this place of like anger and frustration, it's the feeling that you have when you walk into a store and there's that person that you desperately hope isn't there. And when you see them, the lump that comes in your stomach the weight that you feel, the pulse quickens, and you just superficially say hi, and within is rage and frustration because what they did to you was wrong. They never apologized. They continued to do it. They blamed you for it. I mean, maybe you know where I'm at, right? Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Those feelings that come, what Paul is saying is that love must be sincere, right? And he's not just saying that it's supposed to be sincere in the way we act toward one another. If you go a little further in the text to the next verse, what it's really communicating is that that we're to be sincere in the way we feel about one another, right? To feel real, true, authentic love for each other because that is what it looks like And that is what testifies to the reality of the fact that we are the family of God, right? Right? To to feel hard toward one another or to feel indifferent, narrow, bitter, resentful, whatever words you want to use, that contradicts who God is and it contradicts who the family of God is. So Paul says to be the family the way you're called to be the family, love must be genuine, sincere. But Paul goes on to say that we're to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. 
And here, here's what I think we can learn from this. I want to highlight two things. The first one is this, that, that intensity is required. If you want to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good, intensity is required. It's, it's more than implied in this passage, right? That, that Paul uses very specific verbs here, and all of them are really strong. Abhor is to loathe, to despise, to be disgusted with. Cling is to embrace, to love. It's the same word that's used in 1 Corinthians to describe sexual union, desire, clinging to one another. That's the idea, right? To long for it. So he uses these very strong, strong words. And what he's saying is that love that's sincere, abhorring and clinging, is not just actions of willpower. It's far more than that. It actually goes to the very emotions of who we are. Second thing. The things to abhor and cling to are relational in nature. The things that we're supposed to abhor and cling to are relational in nature. So don't think of them as the things I'm so supposed to avoid, like we were shouting out earlier. Don't think of them the things that, uh, you know, in Christianese we would love to, 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 we should love. Rather, think of them maybe this way. I'm going to give you a, a short list of what we should abhor. I'm just simply taking this from the text. In Proverbs, God says this, there are six things that he hates, seven that are detestable to him. I'll pause there for a moment, okay? When you notice the rest of this list, okay, these are six things that he hates. The seventh one is the most detestable of all of them, is what he's communicating, right? He's not creating a, here are the bad things list. Rather, all of the things in the text are relational. So look at it. He says, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Like basically all of these are relational. Pride in a comparison to others, lies generated to deceive one another. The, the list goes on. All of them are related to the way we interact with each other. And then he says the greatest of all the things he hates, the things that he despises, are dissension among the brothers, meaning those who are destroying the unity and the connection and the love among the body of Christ, dividing the body, splitting it, spreading lies among it, tearing it apart in some way. Really, I think what he's communicating is that this, that we're to abhor whatever destroys relationships. We are to abhor, despise, detest whatever destroys relationships. So here's a list of things we're to cling to, okay? Again, just taken simply from the text. Verse, or Psalm 15 says this, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent who shall dwell in your holy hill? Basically, he's saying, in, in today's context, who shall be in your presence or who shall walk close with you? What does that look like? And then he lists this. 
He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor nor takes up a reproach against his friend and whose eyes a vile person is despised but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest, and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Look at the list again here. Speaks truth, relational. Does not slander, does not spread false gossip. Does no evil to his neighbor and those among him. No reproach against friends. Who sees people who are honoring the Lord and favors them who's willing to take one for the team, like swears to his hurt and lives up to it even though it costs him something. I mean, this whole list, and then he says at the end, whoever does these things shall never be moved. I mean, these are beautiful things. It's things to abhor and things to cling to, but I, I'm going to suggest that in our culture right now, we're, we've kind of gotten the order confused. We've flipped it around. Instead of abhorring the evil, I think in our culture we probably have a tendency to cling to it. Have you noticed that as a society? We are awfully good at shaming people. Awfully good. It used to be that you would just put a letter A on someone's chest and make them walk around town and shame them in that way, right? But we've just improved the ways of doing it. We've just increased it. Now we tweet about it, retweet it, post it, depict it in some way until your life is a viral mess. We destroy people. And we do it in a bit of a mob mentality where some people pile on and then other people express that to others and then they kind of pile on. And then part of it is because I can just be guilty of like, I didn't do anything, I just passed it on to other people. <laughs> right, right. So you did. Right? That, that's, that's what we do, right? In fact, so much so that, uh, I mean, there's a new book that just came out, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. A whole author just writing about this new epidemic. Uh, this was just in the news this week. The price of public shaming in the internet age, that more and more of what we're doing is driving people to shame. We mob people. We choose to offer no forgiveness. We slander, we gossip, the list in Psalm 15. We revel in some ways in other people's humiliation. But I think what Paul is saying is something very essential about love to us this morning. That we're to abhor what destroys relationships. And we're to cling to what strengthens them. To abhor what destroys relationships and cling to what strengthens them. So let me wrap it up this way. Okay? The text says this, let love be genuine. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. I can't do that. I can't do it. I can't. And I would argue that none of us can. Just talking to John right before the service, and I said, hey, this is what I'm going to talk about. And I said, did you ever have those times where you get that pit in your stomach, and he goes, flashback, 10th grade, Here's the situation, saw the guy a month ago, and immediately, oh, and faked it, right? Shaking hands, yeah, good, it's good to see you, right? But to, to genuinely love sincerely, I can't do it. 
right? I fake it. So then he says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Here's the truth with this. I can't make myself desire the right things. I can't. I want to. I try to. I effort of will. And then I run out of willpower. And then I can't. I cling to the sticky gossip. I talk about others rather than seek to build people up. Those are just a few of the things that maybe you could relate to. So I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, how is it even possible? How do we live into this command? If it's a command, if, if Paul is saying that this is what God has called us to, how do we do it? And I would say, is, as you know, it's not a matter of willpower, right? Rather, it's because we have Christ in us. Right? Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the one who empowers, the, the one who loves fully and completely, and then in turn enables us and empowers us to love completely. I think it's a matter of us bringing our awareness to God where we come to him and we just simply say, I am incapable, but you are. I can't love this way. I can't abhor the things I need to and cling to the things that I should unless you are a part of empowering it. St. Augustine said this, command what you will and then empower or grant what you command. I think it's our requirement to pray that with him right? Pray that. Like, command God. You can command whatever you want. Command it. That's great. But then grant it. Empower it. Make it happen. Because it's only by you and your grace that we're capable. In fact, in 1 John, it says this, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. So if you've come to know and believe it, if you've come to accept that, if you've come to realize that, then, and only then, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God and God in him. We love because he first loved us. And his commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We love because he first loved us. This morning, I want to invite you to come to the table, uh, to participate in the Eucharist, to receive the Lord's Supper, whatever term you want to use. The idea would be to remember, right? Remember the gift of Jesus on our behalf, to remember that it is his divine and all-powerful act of love that gives us the ability to act in love. We're going to have uh, stations in this corner, a station here, and then I think a station in that back corner. Uh, in the next uh, little bit, as you uh, are spending some time just worshiping God in song uh, and in prayer, I would invite you at any time to come forward, uh, take, and as you take, uh, just remember, revel in, in God's love, and then invite him to pour that love into you in a way that it naturally pours out to others. Let's pray.